0: Hello, and welcome to my podcast on criminal profiling. To do a quick overview for anyone who is not familiar with this topic, criminal profiling, a subset of cognitive psychology, is the analysis of components of typically a violent crime to better understand the perpetrator of the crime or to better understand what kind of offender may be behind it. It seeks to identify possible physical and mental characteristics of the criminal, attempting to narrow down a wide spectrum of possible suspects based on past cases, available crime scene evidence, as well as investigative psychology. Before I get more into detail, I'll be playing an excerpt from a TV show. I know this seems weirdly vague and mysterious, but just bear with me in this introduction. I promise this will make the podcast significantly better.
1: So you stated that it was your profile of the killer that led you and the police to my client's
2: door that night? Behavioral analysis was a factor in our investigation, yes.
1: And was behavioral analysis also a factor in the Olympic Park bombings case in Atlanta? Yes, it was. And was that suspect you identified, Richard Jewell, ever convicted of the bombings?
0: Objection. Relevance.
1: Goes to the credibility of the witness and his field. I'll allow it.
2: No, he was not convicted.
1: Because he was innocent. Your profile led you to the wrong man.
2: Jewel was not the perpetrator, but if you look at the real Olympic Park bomber, Eric Rudolph, you'll see that our profile was dead on.
1: Well, how about if we look at the Baton Rouge killer? Your unit said that he was white and living in the city. He was black and from the suburbs. You said that Dennis Rader, the BTK killer, was divorced and impotent. He turned out to be married with two kids. Objection, Your Honor. He's giving a sermon. You have a question in there somewhere, counselor? Having been wrong on those cases, isn't it possible that you were wrong about Brian Matloff? No. Fact is, behavioral analysis is really just intellectual guesswork. You probably couldn't tell me the color of my socks with any greater accuracy than a carnival psychic. Objection. Withdrawn.
2: Charcoal gray. Well, look at that. He got one right. You match them to the color of your suit to appear taller. You also wear lifts and you've had the soles of your shoes replaced. One might think you're frugal, but in fact you're having financial difficulties. You wear a fake Rolex because you pawn the real one to pay your debts. My guess is to a bookie. I took this case
1: pro bono. I am one of the most successful criminal attorneys in the state.
2: Your vice is horses. Your Blackberry has been buzzing on the table every 20 minutes, which happens to be the average time between posts from colonial downs. You're getting race results. And every time you do, it affects your mood in court, and you're not having a very good day. That's because you pick horses the same way you practice law, by always taking the long shot.
0: If you do not recognize this iconic scene from Season 3, Episode 19 of Criminal Minds, I highly suggest you crawl out from whatever rock you're living underneath so you can turn on Netflix and binge-watch all 12 seasons. Anyway, in this scene, Hotch has just owned this punk lawyer with his top-notch profiling skills, and I know how badly we all want to know whether or not this is real. Sadly, I have to be the bearer of bad news and debunk Koch's amazing run in court to tell you that criminal profiling, while an actual job in the B- in the FBI and the Behavioral Analysis Unit, does not fully live up to its reputable portrayal in the media. Before getting more in depth into the articles that I will be using to debunk criminal profiling, I would like to start. On a broader scale. So I will be starting by describing the Barnum effect. The Barnum effect is when individuals perceive general, general information, such as the generic descriptions provided in criminal profiling, such as white male, typically base rate information, such as age, uh, race, stuff like that. They think this information is applicable to themselves or others, however the information is typically vague and could apply to anyone, which is a psychological reason people may mistakenly believe that criminal profiling is accurate or mystic insight into the human mind. This same phenomenon is felt when we read our horoscopes, when we read our horoscopes and we think, wow, my horoscope is just seeing into my life, it just knows me. This is considered to be an effect of the Barnum effect and it can be related to criminal profiling as well. The first source I will be drawing information from is Contemporary Problems in Criminal Profiling, authored by Rick- Richard N. Coxus and George B. Palermo. Coxus is actually one of the very few people known to attempt to do empirical research regarding criminal profiling, and this article is intended to review many of the issues he ran into while conducting his studies, and more importantly, problems with the field as a whole. Most of the empirical studies done on criminal profiling were actually done by the FBI, who claim that their profilers are over 80% accurate. And cue the shock and surprise! They refused to release the data to the public and essentially told us to take their word for it and that this this process is scientific and accurate for some reason not sure why i feel like i need just a little bit more research to tide me over so i'm here to present said research to you guys first and foremost rather than the scientific method criminal profiling relies on a five-step process in which advancing levels of hypotheses are continuously checked against any data such as crime state evidence, to arrive at a final set of hypotheses regarding the offenders that fall on the less general side. While this is acceptable for police application, once applications are extended into the scientific field and asked to be viewed as a scientific practice, this is simply not acceptable. Furthermore, the majority of the mentions of the success or accuracy of criminal profiling are primarily anecdotal, with the anecdote being provided by the criminal profiler themselves, usually in the form of a book. I hope you can see the issue with this. This scientific method must the scientific method must be adhered to and criminal profiling as a science simply does not. Second, off the back of the first point, both validity and reliability are a major issue that have not been addressed as criminal profiling has progressed in popularity. Empirical studies that test the ability of profilers are far and few between, and the studies are typically set up in such a manner that the sample of profilers is not large enough to get an accurate measurement, or the test does not have an objective criterion against which to test a sample of actual profiles. Lastly, in the case of the Beltway Sniper in the 1989 case of the Australian, quote, granny "granny killer, Both profiles are actually pretty much completely wrong. The beltway sniper was profiled to be a white man, but turned out to be a pair of African-American males, and the granny killer was profiled to be an African-American male, but turned out to be an elderly white male. While this is not enough to disprove criminal profiling on its own, the incongruence between the offender and the profile highlights a major problem with overgeneralization based on area demographics and past cases. (laughs) The second source I will be citing is criminal personality profiling, an outcome and process study by Anthony J. Pinazotto and Norman J. Finkel. Pinazotto and Finkel are credited with conducting an empirical study on actual criminal profilers in which five groups of participants consisting of one group of FBI profiling experts, one group of six police detectives specially trained in profiling by the FBI, one group of six experienced but not trained police detectives, one group of clinical psychologists, and one group of six inexperienced undergraduate students were tasked with an in-depth profile of an offender based on materials from a real rape case and a real homicide case. The five groups were also asked a series of objective questions about the offender, with the correct answers based on the actual convicted offenders. The two major questions guiding the study were one, are professional profilers more accurate than non-profilers in generating personality profiles and correctly identifying offender features from crime scene details? And two, is the process that the profilers use qualitatively different from that of the non-profilers? While the results concluded that analysis of correct responses concerning the known offender for the sex offense case revealed that the profiler scored significantly better than the other three groups in a variety of measures, there are still limitations to using this study as evidence to support the usefulness of criminal profiling. Profilers did extraordinarily well in the rape case, but fell short on the homicide case, most likely due to the lack of information in the homicide case and the detailed victim report in the rape case. This is due to the fact that the victim in the homicide case is dead. They can't give a full report as a rape victim could. A rape victim, the rape victim is still alive. They gave a detailed report of the incident, the perpetrator, and everything that followed afterwards. So the homicide case was lacking in detail. This study gives only limited support to the claim that profiling adds a significant degree of expertise to what is normally done by experienced detectives and points more towards expertise and experience with previous cases rather than any actual ability. Moreover, the lack of details in the homicide case, as mentioned previously, that were removed for privacy purposes and de- a less detailed victim report was given because of the victim being dead and not able to give detailed report as a live sexual assault victim could led to less variabilities in scores across the group, which reflects a more realistic criminal profiling situation. Typically, they do not have a lot of details about the case, and the differences in the scores of the rape and homicide case show this disparity. Lastly, a sample of only 28 is a minuscule sample and nowhere near representative of the actual population of criminal profiling, bringing us back to the validity and reliability issues mentioned previously. This study falls short of supporting criminal profiling and calls attention to the reason why things like the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders and the ICD-10 exist in psychology in the first place, to provide uniformity in terminology and classification. In short, not enough empirical research has been conducted, and there are no practical regulated techniques as seen in other fields of psychology, such as clinical and behavioral. This field needs way more research and way more development. Anyway, thank you for tuning into my podcast. I hope it was really interesting.